0: Well good morning everyone. Uh, my name's Josh, from one of the pastors here at Wild Street. Great to have you at church. And as Benny said, we're going to be having a Q&A uh, just after this on Zoom. So if you've got questions, write them down. There's plenty more things that could be said that I didn't get a chance to say, so we'd love to hear all of your questions on this stuff. Uh, over the last three weeks, we've been looking at the topic of good sex. Uh, not so much tips for having good sex, uh, but what is God's good design for sex? Over the last little bit, we've seen that God made us and he made sex. Sex is a good gift from God, but like any gift, it can be used well, or it can be abused. See, because God made sex, he gets to decide what it's for and how it's used, which is often at odds with how our world thinks about sex. Our world says sex is essential. If you refrain from having sex, you're actually hurting yourself. Our world says sex is just a physical thing. There's no consequences, just use it however you want. And our world says sex is something that defines you. You are who you have sex with. You either are gay or you are straight or something else. That's who you are. But God says you're way more than who you have sex with. You're a much deeper and richer person than that. And God says that Sex is only good when it's used for serving the other in the context of marriage. And doing that is both how we obey God and it's what's best for us. It's actually better for you not to have sex outside of God's good design. So that's some of where we've been. But the reality is that some of us are married and we'll have sex, but others are single and won't. And so, the bigger question we're going to look at this morning is how do we serve God in marriage and singleness? How should I think about living in my circumstance? What does God want for my life? How do I actually live it out? If you don't follow Jesus yet, you might be thinking, I'm just going to close my eyes for the next little while. This has just got nothing to do with me. But I'm going to tell you that this passage we're looking at, God's going to show us a deep truth that I think shapes reality for everyone whether you acknowledge it's true or not. And so I think this passage is worth looking at for all of us. We're going to look at it in three sections. We're going to look at marriage, then singleness, and then the truth that shapes reality. That's some of where we're going. So let's get stuck into point one. How do we serve God in marriage? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we are today, and it's got two things to say. Give yourself to your marriage more than you are, yet hold more loosely to it than you think. Give yourself to your marriage more than you are, yet hold more loosely to it than you think. Okay? So first one, give yourself to your marriage more than you are. Paul starts 1 Corinthians 7 by responding to a wrong view of marriage that the Corinthians had. This was a church that kind of Paul planted and they became Christians, and they thought that to be holy as a Christian, you needed to not have sex. Even in marriage, they thought it was bad to indulge in this physical thing, Because we're meant to be spiritual people, right? That's what it meant to be holy. That's what they thought. But Paul corrects them and shows them something of the nature of marriage as God intended it. Have a look with me at verse three or four. Great to have your Bibles out if you got them. Verse three. The wife should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. If you're caught up in the values of the world, you will hate this teaching. The wife doesn't have authority over her body, the husband does. Do you feel uncomfortable? You have obligations to your wife, to your spouse, sexually. Does that sound kind of wrong? Uh, it seems like this teaching could be a recipe for abuse. And tragically, some evil people have used this passage for that. And I want to say that is wrong. It's completely wrong and evil of them. But it's also a completely wrong reading of the passage. Because what Paul actually spells out is that the nature of marriage is a mutual giving of oneself completely to the other the husband to the wife and the wife to the husband, giving up authority over their own bodies to serve one another sexually and otherwise. Notice importantly, it's always voluntarily given, not selfishly taken. You can't force the other person into it. Paul uses the language of rights. But notice, it's not the right to have for yourself, it's the right and obligation to serve the other it's a completely radical and beautiful way to do marriage. At a larger level, this is a particular expression of the purpose of marriage. It reflects the great other person-centered love that God has for us. And so this obligation of serving your spouse sexually is part of how you serve God. But at another level, it's also a beautiful way to do marriage because it deeply enriches your marriage. I heard someone helpfully say that uh, we all want to have deep intimacy in our relationships, right? But what is it that enables intimacy in a relationship? Well, it comes through being vulnerable. Trust develops through being safe while being able to be vulnerable with someone, and then intimacy is created from that. It's giving author- and giving authority over your body to someone else. It makes you incredibly vulnerable, doesn't it? It's scary. But when you can trust that the other person will serve you for your good, that is a context that creates deep intimacy. See, the world wants intimacy, but it says, I'm not gonna give authority over my life to anyone. But you see, when you focus on my rights and what I'm owed, you ruin relationships because you destroy the possibility for intimacy through vulnerability. So how are you going? giving yourself completely to the other if you're married. Do you think about this as an area where you can serve God and serve your spouse? Or is sex something you use as a reward or withhold as punishment? Of course, it'll look different for different couples at different stages of life, but the principle is the same, serving the other with your whole body. For people who aren't married but want to be one day, what are you looking for in someone to marry? Uh, don't worry so much about how hot someone is are they someone you can trust deeply because if you get married you're entrusting your body to them complete mutual giving is part of how married people serve god it's a high bar and i suspect you're realizing i'm not living up to that and so paul would say if you want to serve god in your marriage start by giving yourself more in your marriage But that's not the only way for people. uh, Paul gives married people to serve God. He says, give yourself to your marriage more than you are, but also hold more loosely to it than you think. If you have your Bibles there, have a look over it down to verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. Live as though you don't have a wife, Paul says. What? Go surfing? Play golf every weekend? Don't worry about your wife, Paul said so? What's he he talking about? He's saying, in light of the time we're living in, Marriage is not the most important thing, so don't live like it is. We'll dive deeper into the reasons he gives a bit later, but it's a challenge to those who would put their marriage above everything else. We've seen that Paul has high expectations for marriage, but some things are more important. Marriage is not the most important thing, so don't shape every decision around your marriage. See, if you only cared about your marriage, you'd, you'd never serve at a ministry at night. You'd always just be kind of working on your marriage and hanging out together. But if you recognise that some things are more important than marriage, well, one of you might serve at Jesus Club on a Monday night while the other looks after the kids. Uh, this principle will drive marriages to be outward-looking and not inward, seeking to serve others through your marriage. Maybe you'll invite a single person on your holiday to help love another person how would you serve in your marriage if marriage wasn't the most important thing in your life? One of the amazing things about God's Word is that it speaks to people in different situations. See, for the person who's not committed to their marriage, you need to hear that God wants you to give yourself more to your marriage. That's part of how you serve God. But for the person who puts their marriage above everything else, you need to hear that marriage will one day end, so don't idolize it. So how do we serve God in marriage? Give yourself to your marriage more than you are, but hold more loosely to it than you think. So that's marriage. What about singleness? All right, point two: how do we serve God in singleness? And Paul's got three things to say about singleness. The first is to recognise that singleness and marriage is a good gift from God. After talking about the nature of marriage, Paul gets to verse 7 and he says this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. When we talk about marriage and singleness, we often talk about married and unmarried. Like marriage is the good thing to have and singleness is un-that. It's missing out. It's never single and unsingle, it's married and unmarried. See, you won't serve God well in singleness if you think it's a curse, not a gift. For some of us, our view of singleness is out of step with the Bible at this point. We can think that the only way that you could possibly survive being single is to have a superpower given by God. Now it's true that God has made it so that some people find it easy and awesome, and others people might find it harder. But Paul's view of singleness is so good that he wishes everyone would be single like him. But he recognizes that that's not how God has ordered and arranged things. And so, verse seven: "You know, I wish or whereas I myself am, but each has his own gift from God. Singleness is good, but it's not God's purpose for everyone. Each person has their own gift." Both marriage and singleness are good gifts from your Heavenly Father. It's not like one is the key to fulfilment and the other is condemned to a life of struggle. In fact, Paul says, if anything, singleness is better than marriage. Now, that doesn't mean you'll always find singleness easy. And I'm sorry if you're finding it hard. Please reach out. But know that you're not missing out on the goodness of God In marriage and in singleness, we can taste God's goodness. It is His good gift. So that's the first thing. The first thing about singleness is we need to recognize it's a good gift because you won't serve God well if you think it's a curse, not a gift. The second thing about singleness is don't get too caught up in changing your circumstances. Have a look with me from verse 17. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Where you were bondservant when called, do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man in the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought at a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there... Let him remain with God. Now this section, it doesn't talk about singleness. Instead, it talks about circumcision and being a slave. What's going on here? Well, Paul's laying down a principle that shapes how we should think about singleness and actually every circumstance in life. And the principle is that last line. In whatever condition you were called, there remain with God. We all find ourselves in different circumstances when we become Christians. That's what it means to be called, to become a Christian. And Paul's saying, don't seek to change your circumstances. If you're circumcised, don't seek to change it. Not sure how you would, but you know, don't get caught up in trying to change it. If you're a slave, don't be overly concerned about it. But if you can get out of it, go for it. And it can be applied to singleness as well. If you're single, don't get caught up in and be obsessed with trying to change it. Why? Paul gives three reasons. The first one is, verse 17, God is sovereign over your circumstances. God has put you where you are. And so don't be obsessed with trying to change where you are. Two, the thing that really matters is obeying God, verse 19. The other stuff is just trivia. You know, if you're not obeying God, change that. But don't worry too much about the circumstances in which you are obeying him. The third one is you've got a new identity and status, verse 22. Don't worry about your life circumstance because you have a new life status. You belong to Jesus. Take comfort in that. The other stuff, well, that's, that's just trivia. Getting those things is the key to contentment and to serving God well in singleness, as well as any life circumstance. So to put it negatively, if you want to serve God less, spend lots of time focusing on changing your circumstances. If you want to serve God well, recognize that God has put you where you are and that what matters is obeying and belonging to him. When you recognize that the other stuff is just trivia, you'll have the freedom and contentment to serve God well. Now, does that mean you should never seek to get married or change your circumstances in any way? No, Paul says if you have the chance to stop being a slave, go for it. He also says, verse nine and verse 28, if you're single, it's not a sin to get married. It's not bad to change your situation. Just don't obsess over it. Paul's got heaps more to say about marriage elsewhere, but one reason he gives to consider marriage is if you're burning with passion and not exercising self-control. He says, if all other things are equal, then an overwhelming desire for sexual intimacy might be a reason to think about marriage. Now, not everyone struggling with self-control will be able to find someone to marry, and it's not a reason to stop working on self-control. If you get married, you're still gonna need self-control, but if sexual desire risks distracting you from serving God, then you're free to get married. So, recognize that singleness is a good gift, Don't get too caught up in changing your circumstances. And thirdly, live in undivided devotion to the Lord. Have a look with me at verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. In a of the times we're in, Paul prefers singleness over marriage. And he gives two practical reasons why. The first is, you'll have less troubles in life. Marriage brings troubles. There's lots of examples you can think of. But one example, for single people, when you want to do something, well, you decide to do it and then you do it. When you're married, you have to talk about it and then vote. But the problem is there's only two of you. How do you break the deadlock? How do you figure that out? It's complex. And then if you have kids, it's more complex. Again, I heard someone say, uh, if you're single and you want to do something, you do it. If you're married, you have to talk about it and vote. If you have kids, then you need to book a removalist a month in advance to kind of take everything with you that you need to go out. It's complex and it brings troubles. He also said it's a bit like surfing in a sketchy place, right? When you're surfing and if there's a chance of sharks, it's better when you're out with half a dozen other people because your chances of getting hurt go way down. But if all those other six people are your spouse and kids, then your chances for pain actually go way up because something can happen to all these people outside of you and outside of your control. It's not that singleness is always easy and marriage is hard, but marriage won't solve your problems, it just multiplies them. That's the first reason. The second reason Paul prefers singleness is that marriage divides your time, verse 33. The married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. When you've got a spouse and kids, you've got to spend a bunch of time changing nappies, refereeing fights. Your interests are divided. When you're single, you have more time and energy to serve God. Now that needs to be nuanced, and I'd love to take some questions on it after, but it's generally true. And if you love Jesus, and if you are on board with the cause of the gospel, you'll see that having more time and energy to serve God isn't this trivial thing or this condescending thing that married people say to make single people feel better when you love jesus you'll recognize that it's a truly precious gift and it's worth considering before you give it up and so if you're single what does it look like to serve god it's to recognize your singleness as a good gift don't get caught up in don't get too caught up in trying to change your singleness though you can and use the time and energy you have to serve the Lord in undivided devotion. I want to encourage you that I think lots of people in this church are using their singleness really well. And as a church, we want to encourage single people in their gift and support them in the things they find hard, just as we want to do for married people. But we're potentially not as good at it for singles, particularly older singles. The last thing I want to look at is the deep truth that changes reality. We're at point three. Come back, to me with verse, come back with me to verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, those who mourn as though they were not mourning, those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy goods as though they had no goods, those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. This world is passing away. There's more to life than just this life and that changes everything. See, how do you end up living a life that's obsessed with the trivial things? How do you use your marriage and singleness poorly? It's when you live like this world is all there is. I've only got one life and so I've got to make the most of it. I've got to experience it all. But if this world is passing away, and the next one is eternal, then it makes no sense to invest in and idolise the things that won't last. I've, um, I've got a rope here. It's, it's a pretty long rope. If I throw it out, it gets to the TV. I want you to imagine that this rope, it kind of goes out the door of church. If you can remember the months when we used to come to church, imagine it goes out church. It uh, gets to the road and heads all the way to Maroubra Beach, and then it goes north goes past Coogee, up to the Central Coast, it hits Queensland, and this rope just keeps going forever. Now I'm hoping you can see this. You've got this little black line. I want you to imagine that this little section of black tape, this is your life on Earth. Uh, here's kind of your birth, here's your, your primary school in this bit, um, here's today, and then just afterwards, you've got your retirement, you've got your death, God says that after that point you keep going, you keep existing forever. Our life on earth is short and this world is ending but that is not the end. If that is true it means two things. It means that what matters is using the little kind of black tape part of your life to determine where you stand with God which will determine where you stand Uh, where you spend the rest of time. If you're someone who doesn't follow Jesus, then this is the thing for you to hear this morning. Your life is short and the world is passing away. Where are you going to spend eternity? If that raises questions for you, please fill in a Connect card so we can get in touch. Please come back to church next week. We, We would love to help you think it through. If you do follow Jesus... It means that the only thing that makes sense is to use this life to invest in the next one. This completely shapes marriage and singleness. Marriages won't be the most important thing to married people, but using your marriage to invest in the next world will be. If you're single, you'll, you'll see it as a good gift and you'll use your energy to invest in the things that last into the next world. What are those things? Godliness and people. Godliness continues and people continue. So grow in godliness. Encourage believers so that us together might make it into the next world. And share the gospel with unbelievers so that they might join us there. The fact that God is real and that this world is passing away gives us real clarity and purpose to help us live in whatever circumstances we're in, married or single. Let me pray that God would help us to do that. Father, thank you so much for every good gift that you've given us. Thank you that you give us marriage, you give us singleness, but thank you that you give us purpose and meaning and life. Thank you for revealing to us the truth of the world, that this world is short, it's passing away, but you are bringing a new world that is eternal, that is filled with life. Help us to serve you and to live in this world, in whatever circumstance we're in, in light of the next world, that you might have glory and honour. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.